if you have a good business idea and you can surround yourself with smart people who can help you find the way, you will get it funded. And if you can't, don't start the business. Welcome to the Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf. It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely going to require some new thinking out there. Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. Hello and welcome to episode number 121 of the Food Startups Podcast. Today will be a fun episode because we have a founder who recently sold his successful nationwide food brand, Perfect Fuel. Such an impressive person. Where do I start? He's going on to his fourth career. He's a polymath, meaning someone that is able and accomplished in many different areas. And as you'll see in the podcast, he sees that as a uh, requisite for success. We talk about selling the company, what he would have done differently if he could go back and change a couple of things. He provides feedback on that. He also talks to the idea of how to find and utilize mentors. And this is a quote from him. I attribute my success to my numerous beloved mentors and getting up early in the morning to play and work harder. Well, yeah, I am going to bring him in now, and what an amazing show. I'm, uh, I'm really blessed to have the opportunity to chat with Nicholas. Thank you. Today's guest, we are going to talk with a very, very dynamic and interesting person. He's going into his fourth career now because he recently sold his dark chocolate energy bites company, Perfect Fuel. He was born in Mexico, so obviously bilingual, and he has a lot of different skills. Tourism, he's worked in tourism, food, hospitality, computer, software tech, marketing and advertising. And he gets things done. You know, when I look at his LinkedIn and when I first got introduced to him, I was like, wow, this guy does a lot of stuff and he has a lot of competencies. So it's, it's going to be really great learning from him in today's show. He's a very positive person, and of course, he would gladly accept an invitation to compete on Iron Chef. Now, he started a business by solving his own problem. Camping out the night before a triathlon in 2010, he noticed he was missing his ginseng, an important part of his pre-race routine. And on a mission to find ginseng, you know, he kind of came across the idea like, wow, all there is is ginseng tea. And that led to the founding of Perfect Fuel, which are dark chocolate energy bites in, and one of the flavors is ginseng. And what's also interesting is they were recently acquired by Home Market Foods, which is a large high quality meat-based food products, the largest producer of meatballs in the country. So yeah, I, I'm very pleased to have Nicholas Warren on the show. And Nicholas, thanks for coming on the show. And I have to ask you, why were you acquired by America's number one meatball company? Oh, well, well, thank you, Matt, for having me. Yeah, I guess that's the, the question to open up with. So they're a, a meatball company for the past 50 years. They've, they've been a meatball company for a long time, and there were 
previous investors and owners involved. And now it's just owned by two brothers. It's, it's privately held. They've bought out the other owners and they're, they're on the younger side and they see the society around them getting healthier and healthier. And I believe that their business is probably threatened by you know, diminishing market share of their meat products. So they are now jumping on the next rocket ship. They are seeing everyone with internet in their pockets and label reading consumers, and they're jumping on the trends that you can see in the same IRI data and Mintel market research data I see. People want healthier, cleaner, uh, more plant-based products, and they are jumping on the trend. And we are the fourth acquisition they've had recently of non-meat products. So they're, they're leaving the data. Yeah, and, and natural foods is growing. And uh, even if it's only 5%, like you said, it's accelerating. And I think all large food companies and, and midsize are paying attention to it because it's you can't ignore it. Yeah, you can't ignore it. It's, it's what to eat. Right on. Getting into that, I mean, we already mentioned in the intro how you founded Perfect Fuel. You're into health and nutrition, so I'm, I'm curious. Obviously, you're an athlete. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, good call. Uh, eggs, which um, happen to be the same thing my wife was preparing. We cook a lot together and she's very regimented and, and a, a great athlete herself. We had egg whites with one egg. It was half a cup of egg whites and one egg mixed in with some onions or whatever we had lying around. Typically it's a tomato uh, and I'll have that with a piece of Ezekiel bread and I'm on to my second cup of coffee. Right on. And so I've seen conflicting reports on whether egg yolks are good or bad cholesterol, why, um, it seemed like you mixed it, right? You had like the full egg and then you had egg whites. How do you feel about cholesterol and eating full egg yolks? So I, I feel it's totally fine. So does my doctor. So does my cardiologist. And yes, I'm you know, going to be 34 in a couple of weeks and my cardiologist believes the same thing. Your dietary cholesterol plays very, very little into what your overall blood cholesterol is. has a whole lot to do with the entire composition of what you're eating, your sleeping habits even have probably just as much to do with, uh, well, no, demonstrably have as much to do with the amount of cholesterol you have in your blood as that third egg that you have. So I chose to eat this because it was simple and it is fine. I also uh, know and, and believe what experts tell me and the research that I do myself doesn't have that much uh, of an effect on, uh, on what you're eating. Gotcha. And, and Nicholas, I have to ask, so, you know, you're young. Well, why do you have a cardiologist? Well, um, my father had a very, uh, had a heart attack last year. It was a bad one. It was no fun. Uh, and he's living down in Mexico and had to travel and go uh, spend a while with him. And I've always had slightly elevated cholesterol. Now, that may seem interesting. Someone who would, you know, eat multiple eggs might have some slightly high cholesterol. Well, I've, I've, I've tested against that. I have my you know, blood tested every six months and have had it tested every six months for the past you know, seven or eight years, mostly because of my own personal interest in, in nutrition. And I've even gone through periods, six months of very strict paleo to, very, uh, to vegan. And my cholesterol actually went up a couple of points when I, uh, when I tested fasting blood and checked my results and it actually had gone up a little bit. So I, I have a personal, just a slightly elevated amount of cholesterol. And that, that's a, a whole thing we can get into. I don't want to get too too complicated with that. But yeah, I have slightly elevated cholesterol. But I've had that since you know I was in high school. But someone when you're as young as 
as I am, you don't have to really consider those kinds of things because they're not, it doesn't become a danger until you are older or, or later in life. And well, we have lots of new medicine and some cholesterol meds have only been on the market for a short period of time, not long enough to do longitudinal studies. But I wanted to combat that cumulative effort or the cumulative degrading of your the walls of your arteries as early as possible. So after my dad had a heart attack, I went and studied it myself. And yeah, now I have, I have some professionals on my side to make sure I'm, I'm truly optimizing my, my health. Sounds like a great plan. I have three pieces of feedback here. One is, you know, nutrition still so much. There's so much that we don't know about nutrition and, and we're still in like the wild west days and there's so much to learn. And two, I would say that the more and more I learn about nutrition and, you know, I realize how little I know, to be honest, but it's very evident to me that there's not a perfect diet. Everyone has different physiological and nutritional and dietary and exercise needs that they can optimize for. So there's not like one perfect diet. And third, this seems like a theme turning 34 soon on your going into your fourth career. You're very like autodidactical, I guess, like you like to learn new things and investigate things for yourself. Yeah, I. I do. I, I like to learn them, but I don't like to learn them superficially. I, I want to go right to the sources. I, I want to learn them as best as possible. And and also, sometimes life circumstances change. So you'll travel and you'll just be in a, a different environment, have different people around you influencing you. Uh, I, I think I, I'd like to respond to your, uh, your second assertion there about nutrition being different for everyone. The idea that I'm developing, which is a, a blog that uh, who knows if I'll ever get around to writing, I have, I have a list of those, is that nutrition must be goal-based. It must be because we understand the human body to an extreme level and we know how to game the body, whether it's ketosis, whether it's veganism, we know what these effects have on our body and sometimes it's, it's just for taste or sometimes, unfortunately, for allergen reasons or sometimes there will just be non-existent parameters that are, are put on our our diet that will make us develop a gluten sensitivity or, or something like that but if you are goal-based about your nutrition you think of what it is exactly you want whether you are bulking up muscle whether you are trimming down fat whether you are doing an Ironman or whether you are being a power lifter or you just simply want you just simply are at a desk for 11 hours a day and need to monitor it so you don't become overweight and start carrying more weight on your stomach, which is going to hurt your back. Whatever it is, you can optimize your diet for that. So it's not just going to be for every different person because the same goal for two different people might be, it might be the exact same diet for their goals. So nutrition affects a lot of people the same way. It's the parameters that are, are either true health concerns that affect what people eat or what people are going after. If you want to lose weight, eat fewer calories. If you want to run a marathon or, or, or beyond, yes, you better be eating some carbs. You need carbs, they digest faster. If you are bulking up, yes, you'll need some protein because it will provide more energy to muscle building. You will ingest more amino acids. We know how to gamify it for different people. So it's not just that it's, that it's different for different people because nutrition, I feel, is the same for everyone. It's the different goals. It's, it's the different ends to what we want that that changes nutrition. Gotcha. Well, let me let me clarify just a couple points, just in the sense that like nutrition in general, uh, coffee. Coffee is a great example, right? Not everyone can handle coffee or like our bodies handle it differently. Some people will have like a little bit of coffee at five in the morning and they'll, they'll be up in the evening at, at like 2 a.m. unable to sleep. We all test differently or have different inclinations based on genes and, and environment. 
Well, uh, well taken. And after the show, maybe you could link to some of your favorite articles or books that have influenced you on nutrition that we could share with the with the listeners. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I'd I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, um, yeah. No problem. Cool. Okay. Yes. I really appreciate your your take on nutrition there. So learning in general. So let's go to, to 2010. <clears throat> this is when you had this triathlon. How much did you know about chocolate and and the the food business six years ago when you when you started this company? So everything I, I knew about food was was really from the restaurant industry and, and hospitalities. I started cooking when I was really young at my grandmother and, and mother's side, and I had my first real cooking job as a line cook when I was 14, and I probably shouldn't have even been an employee then, but I, uh, but I was. So all of it was from the restaurant industry, you know, ordering cases of food. You know, I know the amount of waste that goes into cooking food in restaurants when you need you know, perfect, perfect cuts and presentation is, is an issue and you're ordering things by caseload. So there's, there's waste of food that just expires. So uh, I, I did not have the understanding of uh, crafting a food product or to be a packaged good item that sits on a shelf for a year or two. I, I didn't, I didn't know much of that, but I got into it and I, I found experts and the, the best mentors I could from lots of different companies, beverage companies, other chocolate companies, cracker companies, just lots of, uh, lots of people. And I took my understanding and really my, my respect for food. I think that was probably what opened doors was that I, I would tell people, hey, I'm coming in because I have a business idea and I don't want to compete with you. And I was a professional cook for 10 years. Uh, I cooked my way through my first software business. I, I started a software business right out of college. And that, that also is a, a nice conversation starter when you're talking to business owners. And I tell them, yeah, I, I was starting my first software company right out of college with a, a, an engineer much more talented than I was. And you know, before things were taken off and we, we had some clients, which was thankfully only about you know, six months or so, I was personal chefing. I was, I was training. I was training uh, people in, in cooking. I was doing small, uh, small group catering. And those, those kind of, that kind of respect for food and my dedication and probably the passion that they saw that I have for food and, and nutrition is, is what allowed me to get their ear and learn more about the CPG industry. So I'm going to try to synthesize that. So as you learn, right, all these different industries that you've been a part of, you find experts and you try to get mentors, obviously. And so how do you do that? One, you have to establish value, right, which you're good at doing. And then two, you kind of have to eliminate the threat, right? I'm not trying to compete with you. And so that's kind of your, uh, we'll put in in quotes here, in air quotes, your secret to learning about and entering new industries. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, feel free to disagree, uh, but uh, that, that... No, no, I, I agree, yeah, that, that's, that's I, I guess, uh, maybe I'm thinking in my mind, well, well that had better be self-evident. You'd better be passionate about what you're doing. You better like it, but that's not. I'm talking with lots of people from software, which is you know my, the first half of my life, really. And some people are in businesses that they're in because they've pivoted nine times and it's not the business they ever intended to be in. And no, are they passionate about it? No. Is it making boatloads of money? Yeah. I think it's a little different for me and, and especially for most people in food is they, they like what they're doing a little more. Totally. And uh, yeah, and I guess because I, I get a question a lot is like, how do I find mentors? Right. So I appreciate that uh, your perspective on that, because a lot of people say I want a mentor. And obviously, as you know, this, you have to offer value and it's difficult to get in front of them and, and, and to get their time. And that's what a lot of people struggle with doing. There are at least people that reach out to the show. 
So with Imperfect Fuel, why do you think that five to six years later, you were a attractive company to to be sold? That's that's a, a good question. So I've I've tried lots of times to step onto their their side of the table because in this particular case, these were investors who invested in us. They invested a significant amount of money in us a couple of years ago, and the scene changed when we went back out again and we launched some new products and we'd increased our distribution and we'd, we'd you know gotten national distribution and we're uh, we. Well, we were we were out looking for growth funding, and we were we were planning to do that. And it had been a while; it had been coming up on six years. And the conversation was started, and the, the offer was made. What if we took this over? And you know, when when you've done this for this long, yeah, I I know I have an entrepreneur spirit, and I I, I am looking at the future, and I am married now, so. I'm wondering why they were really interested, in, and I think maybe it's maybe it's that they saw it in us, that they saw the opportunity, that hey, we know these guys are worth investing in, but maybe it looks like the founders are ready, uh, in their own right, to to move on. So maybe they they have saw the opportunity that that they would have in in putting not just a, a growth amount of capital, but maybe taking over leadership and and putting way more money. Behind it, so I think they they saw sort of multiple aspects of the opportunity from their perspective. Now, on the business side, uh, sort of the the second prong really of why we would be an attractive attempt to acquire, as well as an actual opportunity uh, in the business, is that we we have a very disruptive product. This isn't just another tomato sauce. This isn't just another cereal, slightly different ingredients with one particular. Uh, differentiator, like it's a, a fair trade oat or something like that. We really did take chocolate out of the chocolate aisle. We had to work through cross merchandising and uh, alternate categorization, which will be reflected in in data differently and and uh, different competitors based on what form factor our uh, shelf display is. We um, we had a very disruptive product. Nicholas, sorry for one second. Uh, some listeners may not uh, be aware of all those terms. So, did you say ultra categor- uh, categorization? I'm sorry, alternate. Alternate categorization. So basically, if, correct me if I'm wrong or add to it. Uh, not just being in the chocolate session, being in different parts of the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, and okay. So when when we had this, well, I'm I'm thinking like early on, even with mentors, when I walk up to founders of a chocolate company and I say, Hey guys, I, I want to make a chocolate bar. What is what is going to make them want to talk to you if you're about to be a competitor? And I would say, well, I want to be a chocolate bar, but I don't, I don't want to sell in the chocolate section. I, I want to, I want to sell next to next to a sports drink, or I want to sell next to a uh, a protein bar or, or or something like that because it's it's a different experience. This isn't chocolate for the indulgence sake. This is chocolate for the best superfood on the planet. Period sake, and that is kind of intriguing. And perfect fuel is the platform for launching something that is different, that is is not just a food for food's sake, but is a fuel. You're eating it with intention. You're, you're eating it with one particular goal in mind, whether it's a restriction on your diet or whether it's a goal and you want to optimize and, and use chocolate as the, the delivery for your protein, for your antioxidants, for your ginseng, for your caffeine, which is why we have an espresso product. Why did they buy it? We had we developed not just a, a product, but this platform, this idea of the perfect 
fuel and we have a very evangelical base and the people who like perfect fuel they really like perfect fuel a lot some of our online customers who we can really you know connect the dots on and get back to i would call later after they've ordering for a year or so consistently and say first of all thank you i love you i want to give you a hug <laughs> and then and then two ask them as respectfully as possible you know why do you like us or tell us what is the thing that makes you 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 want us and I believe that's what made us uh, attractive to acquire is people like us for whatever their personal reason is of getting their fuel, whatever aspect that was, whether it's the portion size, whether it's the, uh, the antioxidants, or whether it is that chia or that ginseng that delivers them the fuel in something that's delicious. And yes, has to be delicious. So it, it was really that platform of perfect fuel that they saw as attractive and the future possibilities, not just the products we have now, but the, the future, what you can extrapolate that out to and build on and make into, um, oh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood and an international bestseller. I love that. And, uh, Nicholas, great answer. Uh, really great answer there. And it makes me think too, because it's like the why and how you ask your customers, like, why, why do you love us? What a, what a great question to ask. And I also think about ginseng. I remember first being exposed to ginseng and you know, like not just in Chinatown, but like kind of just like the bodegas or just like the shops and they have like ginseng at the front counter and it's probably gonna be like a ginseng shot, but it's like, you don't, you don't know like what they're about when you look at those bottles, like how, what's the potency of this? How was it made? Like you just don't know. So it's like, I, I see a lot of trust in the, in the perfect fuel brand. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So a lot of what's in those, and I, I know exactly the kinds of uh, ginseng products you're talking about. There are some that are given to you in a little vial with royal jelly. You can get ginseng gum, you can get ginseng pills, you can get ginseng everything. And there are even different kinds of ginseng. I won't digress into all the different kinds of eleuthero roots and and uh, and other things that are out there labeled ginseng that, that aren't really even ginseng. But ginseng is what you you want out of it. And just as you said, caffeine, I, you know, I could have four cups of coffee in, in a day and, and be fine. People have different sensitivities to it and it affects people differently, whether it's uh, placebo effect, or it literally will make people's hands shake. There are different types of ginseng that will affect people to different levels. So, so I know some people say they, they just have one piece and, and it's great and they, they love it. And other people who say they, they have one in the morning and then one in the afternoon as well. And that's fantastic because I, I created this product before I had any idea of making a product. I created it because for me, that perfect blend of the energy I wanted was coconibs banana chips, ginseng, and, and a couple other small ingredients. Uh, you know, eventually I put some cinnamon in there and things like that. And it was exactly what I, what I wanted out of it. And it'll affect people differently. So I hope that people feed more information back to Perfect Fuel so we can make more products uh, in just the flexible ways that people want to want to eat it. And also a very interesting coincidence, I'm sure you're aware of them, there's a nutrition bar company called Perfect, uh, Perfect Bars, right? And they they're yeah, the perfect bar the perfect yeah. bar and and so i met them at, at the pmas in, in orlando and uh, delicious bars by the way and so they also stand out his dad's recipe but they, they stand out in terms of the the categorization of the product like this bar has to be refrigerated right so not only is it as like a marketing sales thing but a little bit deeper they're like the ingredients in this bar the fact that something can go bad is more likely to be a natural product again there's this is a, that's a very vague statement. And what I mean to say is compared to other, like maybe cliff bars, right? We're going to have a lot more different types of ingredients in there 
that um, it won't last that long. And I found that to be really, really interesting and just talking to them and getting their their take on it. So yeah, I, I um, yeah, that, that's interesting. Go ahead. That's an interesting uh, assumption. I, I imagine you you met them and they probably said that. That sounds like the result of a of a survey that they did is uh, or a focus group asking people why they like our product. Would they like to buy our product in other sections of the store? And that sounds like a crazy question to ask. But if you ask people and it, it hits them from left field, they're going to say, well, where would I like it? Maybe I'd like it closer to checkout because otherwise I won't remember to to get my bar there. But if someone's buying something like fish oil, uh, which would need to be refrigerated or something, and they see a bar there, they're going to say, wow, well, this is probably a nice, healthy bar. So it's it's one of those subconscious attractions to a product that would you you could only really identify through results of focus groups and that's that's where all the power is right like the and like marketing like the subconscious stuff and you know and it's interesting another thing i just had a thought like maybe i just like those uh, what i'll say nutrition bars i don't know if that's not word, but that space uh i'd never thought about putting uh, one of those bars in the refrigerator and maybe it just tastes kind of good cold and i could do that with like the 10 other bars as you find in the other section at whole foods just having it a little bit colder because you you buy it and you eat it right away it tastes kind of good. Also, because you buy it from a refrigerator, you think that you have to consume it now. Whereas, it, and, and maybe you don't. Maybe at the end of the day, these bars will last. I don't know. But bars from the non-refrigerated section, from the ambient temperature, you don't have that immediate like urge. I need to eat it now. Um, but it's, yeah, interesting to think about the psychology behind these products, right? And, and, and perfect bars. So um, yeah. Well, oh, excellent, excellent stuff. Yeah, they're they're a fantastic company. We've I've looked at them ever since we first went to register our trademarks and we have multiple trademarks now in, in different categories and we watched them go through their brand changes and when they rebranded their their bars and came out with different SKUs, yeah we we watched them and that's a yeah that is that is a brand to be respected right on and so i want to go back to summarize this because we're really grateful here the myself and the listeners again listeners this can be found at foodstartupspodcast.com slash perfect to summarize why your your business was attractive, I mean, you developed a prior relationship with the people. Again, again relationships are huge. So I think about if someone wants to sell their business, start developing the relationships now so that a couple of years down the road, you can uh, talk to people that you, uh, in Spanish, like de confianza, like people that you have built trust with and, and they know what you're about. But also, you know, so they they invested in, in the people and then also, I guess, a, a business that was different, that was unique and, and growing. And I guess also that I've reached national distribution, which is a, a great proof of concept and that, that it's working. So I guess I want to go to, to new product development. It's um, you know, advice for creating a, a brand new concept. If someone's going to say, hey, and maybe you get this question, you know, Nicholas, I want to start. I'm passionate about food. I want to develop a product. I have some ideas. I'm into health, coconuts, whatever it is. What questions would you ask them or how would you kind of ground them into bringing that into fruition? So I've answered that question numerous times uh, recently and uh, and even through growing my own. And I feel like my, my answers changed pretty significantly. Whereas in the beginning, I, I would have said, well, be very organized and keep track of your lists and your list of lists and sub lists. And, and that's great. I, I think I have a um, more realistic approach to it now, which is don't bootstrap your business. If you have a fundable business or, or if you have a potentially successful business, solve all of your problems on paper, as many as you can. Go to your mentors and go to them with the, the goal in mind and put down some assumptions and then 
get people to poke holes in them. And if you can get as much information down as possible that you you can demonstrate that, well, you've thought this through to the furthest extent that you can take it, and now you're going to others who have greater experience than you do, and they see that, hey, you're at least down the right path, hopefully you'll be able to get a business funded. Because when you want to start a product, if you want to start a widget and it's going to be on the shelf of uh, Toys R Us, but also Home Depot and Lowe's, if it's a tool, whatever the physical product is, food or not, there are packaging questions you, you won't have any idea about. There'll be manufacturing and shipping and logistics and certifications and uh, uh, just re requirements that will be so, so far beyond you. I would say have the economics for how you as a business will take a product, sell it for more, keep some gross margin. If you can demonstrate that there is a business there, if you can figure out all those parts that you don't need to know, then you have a business that is fundable. And don't do what I did was make some good money for a couple of years and plan to really bootstrap it. And you don't even think you're being greedy, but I feel like, you know, subconsciously you want to do something yourself. So you want to de-risk it as much as possible so you can have a better negotiating position or something. No, that, that, that doesn't matter when, when you have nothing. Execution will really trump. And if you have, if you have a good business idea and you can surround yourself with smart people who can help you find the way, you will get it funded. And if you can't, don't start the business. It's just going to be harder on you. And it's possible when you're negotiating with investors that you will need to really justify your own, well, you will certainly have to justify your own salary, your partner's salary, any staff people who you want to bring on are, are, are you're going to need to attract them with a market rate or higher uh, salary or a compensation package that consists of stock options or something. And all of that complexity, you shouldn't worry about unless you have the budget to make it all happen. And there's no reason to overextend yourself, use savings, or be reluctant to spread the success around. If you want to start a product, you will not know all of the answers. You don't even know what you don't know. So put down as much of your idea on paper, solve your business in Excel to the furthest extent possible, and get other people with experience to fund it or not to fund it. And let that really be a decider. And, and also don't, I guess last point, don't stop with one person. Ask 50, 60 people, not five, but 50 people for their impression of your business and whether it's fundable before you, you, you really start to take any shotgun advice. So it's almost like a, midi, it's like a meta analysis of 50 different people as whether or not your business can be funded. And, and so, okay, really interesting on the don't bootstrap your business. I think the exercise, right, the, the exercise of solving your problems on paper and asking yourself the tough questions that you may not want to look at, like, you know, how, how viable is this business? Are the pain points something that are going to, you know, maybe stop us from reaching X goal? So if I understand correctly, if you went back and did this over, you would have gotten funding right away as opposed to bootstrapping. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would have. And this was something I was I was working at a startup when I started this. So I'm already working 60 hours a week, maybe, you know, 50, 55 to 60 hours a week at one job. And this is sort of a passion project, which I wasn't planning on rolling up into to a business. And I would have instead of just working on the product 
as much as I did and the viability as a product for something that's kind of unheard of, a, a, a cocoa ginseng energy bite, I would have probably taken all the lists I'd made about the packaging and, and what it would look like and concepts and taken it to people and, and started earlier to yeah, develop those relationships, as you say, and uh, walk it through the industry more to see if it's if it's possible and not really take the step of doing a couple of commercial size batches like I did with my own money uh, before getting some experience and some experience money behind it as early as possible. Gotcha. But let me just ask a question here. But if you would have done that from the beginning, would that have significantly lowered your stake just because it's if you don't have sales and you mentioned the weak leverage, like would you have lost a, a large part of your company? I don't think so. So every every agreement is a negotiated agreement and, and there are safe agreements and convertible notes and, and all, all sorts of different agreements, which all of your listeners can uh, can look up as to how people are are making investments and financing very early, even pre-product concept level companies. And a lot of times the earliest people who get involved aren't taking equity. They're loaning money to the company for either a first right of refusal to invest in the, the next round, uh, sort of a, a preference to invest in the next round where I'm going to give you some now, but this is a loan and I will get this money back. But I'm also taking such a big risk. So I would like to be able to invest with 15% more value on my dollar when I invest later. So if I'm going to risk this right now, I want to know that I can, you will not, you will not exclude me from investing more later from a, a more powerful uh, or a more influential you know, channel uh, experienced investor. So there are lots of ways of getting people involved, maybe not for equity. So you could pay back your initial uh, investors. And as, as everyone says, it, it's not a, a trite quote that it is much better to have 1% of something than 99% of nothing. Totally. I love that idea. Loan with first right of refusal. One other thing you mentioned, so you said the word passion project. At what point did you know um, that it was for real or that like this was going to become like your, your main thing? I, oh boy. I, I think it was when I, I started making some and obviously the, the first products were garbage, but it was after some other athletes said, hey, I, I like this. This is good. Hey, could you make some with protein in it? Could you make some with coffee beans in it? And I was trying everything from vegetable protein to... Yeah, you, you name it, and I, I made some, some chocolate, or I made a, a cacao snack with it. And when other athletes around me and much you know, higher-achieving athletes than, than myself liked it and said, hey, when you, when you make some, could you make some more for me? I mean, I'll, I'll pay for the ingredients or whatever, but you know, make, make a larger batch because I, you know, I, I want some more of this. That is a really interesting feeling. That's the kind of subtlety just in conversation that – really resonates with you and makes you feel good. Like, Hey, maybe I'm, I'm doing something. If someone else likes it and I'm not just a, a hippie making some organic product on my stove, uh, but Hey, maybe this would actually work. And when someone, you look in an athlete's bag and they've got power bars and a, whatever other performance gear that they have. And then they want some of your very pure, clean cacao, ginseng, espresso bite that, uh, it, it makes you feel like, Hey, Maybe maybe I have a product, and if I surround myself with the right people and, and potentially based on my experience in marketing and sales, that maybe I'd have the chops to actually 
make a success out of this and lights start to go off. I love that. That was like the time, right? The really high-end athlete saying, hey, make me some. I want it. Very cool. Well, Nicholas, as you know, there's kind of this entrepreneurial narrative, especially today um, in 2016. A lot of people have this dream. I want to start a company I'm passionate about and then eventually have an exit. And first off, congratulations. What a what a feat. I think in a lot of high achievers or, or entrepreneurs, sometimes one of our weaknesses is we don't take time to celebrate the the successes you know it's just like okay i did that what's next but i I do want to ask you you know right now i mean how do you feel and and what's next well how do i feel i feel very uh fortunate and i feel very lucky and i feel i feel good i i feel like i I finished a bit of a marathon it it was uh, a long time coming and and i i worked hard at it and i had great people with me and I love my partner and I feel good uh, because it could be any, it could have gone any way. I know lots of people just being in the industry who had to fold their brand, had to fold their company. And that could have been because of a company failure or could have been because of a product or brand failure. So to have been able to, to exit successfully is, is really a privilege. Because sometimes, you know, when, when we're in a position where we're, we're gaining traction and we're growing and, you know, just as, you know, Honest Tea, as you covered it in your episode, they made huge investments in a plant and they were doing really well, but it could have been a business side. It could have been a, a misallocation of money that, uh, that caused them to, to go under. Whatever it is, I feel very fortunate that we were able to navigate the waters and be able to, uh, to keep it going. And there are great things in the future for Perfect Fuel. And your second question, I, I, I hope I, I answered that satisfaction. I think that the the future for me, we should probably talk in six months and and see exactly if I figured that out. So I I have had a uh, a diverse background and I have a breadth of experience from technology to cooking and hospitality now to consumer goods and distribution. So. I'm married now, so things are a bit different. I'm not as flexible as I was, and I don't have kids, so I'm I'm trying to to narrow that down and figure out what I can do. Hopefully, that would actually build on some of my experience and some of my some of my knowledge and the uh, the different varied experience that I have because I I know I am a jack of all trades, and I I, I know from hearing lots of interviews with much greater greater successes all around who say that you know to be a a successful entrepreneur or ceo that you need to be good at more than one thing you need to to have very not just experience but you need to be pretty good at more than one thing you can't just be mediocre at lots of things and i i hope that i can leverage some of what i have done in the past to add a greater degree of value to whatever next venture i i jump into and had different perspectives from my varied, uh, varied past. I love that. So to be successful as an entrepreneur, be great at a, a number of things. It seems like you have that luxury, right? How awesome is that, that you can take you know, some time to, to develop your ideas and test out uh, new projects. I know you and I have talked about Nicaragua because, um, well, I mean, I think you have a roots there and I've spent some time there and it's, it's a, it's a beautiful place. And, uh, 
That's really awesome. I do want to like go back to one thing that maybe we didn't give listeners a, a full spectrum on, and that is just the sales process itself. Because as you mentioned, uh, selling a company is not an overnight thing. It's not like I, I call you up with an offer and you're like, yeah, Matt, let's do it, right? It, it takes a, a long time. So maybe just if you want to leave the listeners with any tips on kind of entering, you know, entering negotiations and things to be aware of and proactive about when you're exploring the sale of uh, your food startup. Sure. Well, I believe that you need to remember that it is it is business and it is a business transaction that you're looking to make happen and to motivate. So when you're looking around for a deal or, or whatever it is you're trying to do, like in our case, we were looking to uh, get a significantly larger level of funding than the less than half a million dollars that we raised a couple of years ago. And we go looking for one thing and you're, you're going down your list. You know, you have a, a sales list like you would have any sales list or a, a, a distribution plan. And you start listing all of the people who could potentially be interested in funding you to the next level that you, you start it just as block and tackle, just as, just as nuts and bolts as, as you would, you start making a list. These are business people who could be interested in the future lucrative opportunity that is uh, growing your company. Well, you start it by making that list and then talking to those people and making your deck and making your reporting and refining, uh, refining what the next level looks like what your one year, what your three year, what is your five year, what what is going to be so attractive about your plan that people would like it. And you can take it to people, usually in your industry. I, I would say if, if I had to give one point of advice, it's don't waste time on people who don't, who could not recognize the opportunity. So for me, I know I wasted a good amount of time. Uh, not, not wasted, but I, I realized very quickly that coming from, you know, eight, nine years in software, and working for companies that were funded and sold, and a lot of these investors that I, I knew who were investors and invested in you know different industries, I would go to them with this opportunity, and they would they would say, yeah, this this could very well be, and but I'd have to talk to some other people who know your space more because I, I don't have the experience to to vet your your opportunity, and this might be great, but it's just not where I have background, so. Make sure that you are are refining your list because time is your number one asset and you have a certain amount of time to operate your company as well as try and get it funded to whatever goals you need. So starting your list and making sure that it has people who are within your industry or who have past active experience in investing in other companies is paramount because it is a business transaction and you're not playing around and you can't have a three-hour coffee with someone just for fun you need to be direct and you need to also respect their time because if you have the privilege to sit down with someone who could potentially be an investor, they will de-risk your opportunity and you will vet them as as someone just wasting your time or someone who is just researching your company in order to see the competition against some other properties that they have investments in. So yeah, just making sure that you're, you don't just have a list, but that you're refining your list and that you're you're maximizing your time to, uh, to actually succeed in getting whatever it is you want funded by people who can and are motivated to uh, to fund it. I like that, yeah, because it's and it's a great point because especially in the food or really in any space, right? If if you're not in it, it's like the, the, like they won't even be able to see 
the value of your company. Whereas someone that's in the industry can see like why you have the competitive advantages. And if they can't innately see that and they have to ask someone else to tell them about that, their confidence in investing in your company, um, among other things, is going to be a lot lower. Fantastic. Well, Nicholas, if listeners are interested in getting in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, I think the best place to reach out to me would probably be Twitter because I can respond to that uh, nice and uh, nice and concisely and, and easily. And yeah, I welcome anyone to reach out to me at Nicholas Warren, uh, at symbol Nicholas Warren. Okay. And just listeners, that's N-I-C-O-L-A-S Warren. Okay. Well, hey man, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Yeah, let's, uh, let's stay in touch and hopefully we can do some surfing together in the near future. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to uh, seeing photos of you down in Puerto Escondido. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.